0: going to be like our normal Wednesday Bible study so uh, invite people to come right in here with you I did hear that the teens get to be in with us tomorrow night and so we're excited about that but we'll start right at seven o'clock sharp with the missions list and then some prayer requests and then Brother Seminorff will be preaching tomorrow night all right let's sing 446 and you don't you do not have to stand you may be seated you may remain seated Thank you, Pastor, and good evening, church family. Boy, good to see you. Isn't that a true song, though? I mean, he gives life only more abundantly, and his promises are real, we saw last night. Well, I want to say thank you for your hospitality. First of all, 30-amp hookups. I used the 30 just in case somebody wanted to grab my 50-amp extension cord. Don't know the safety of the neighborhood, but to even have 50 as an option is phenomenal. Don't get that and uh, motorhomes are hard to cool they're easy to heat but they're hard to cool and so 30 to 50 amps is a blessing i've turned your meter a few times this week don't you just take that out of my love offering but i appreciate it it was a blessing also a very special thank you again to brother barry for the pt boat the diesel pt boat pt 109 now, i appreciate it that was a blessing and again, I love that thing. Man, That just got a growl to it. It's a man's beast, man, all the way. You almost have to jump. You get a running jump to get in that thing. I mean, it's, you know, stepladder stuff. So uh, I like that. Then also a special thank you to Brother Brent and Sister Sylvia. And of course, uh, of course, uh, Brother Steve came along. And for a wonderful meal tonight. really enjoyed that. One problem, though, one problem. Brent just talks too much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Mother, son, mother, son. <laughs> it was delightful. We, we really, really enjoyed the time. I want to say thank you for the fellowship, the meal. It was a blessing. And uh, we uh, joined, uh, you guys joined little Crystal, our waitress over at Olive Garden, joined her in as we asked the blessing on the meal. We invited her to join us. And. Uh, She joined us in prayer. And, uh, you know, we're living in a nation where everybody and everything gets lifted up except God today. And in the public arena, it's just nice to lift him up. I know some people looking around like, what is going on there? Oh, we're just being grateful. Amen. And uh, so that was a blessing. Very, very much appreciated that. And to catch up again with Brother Steve, it's been a delight want to go ahead and share something. I asked your pastor's permission. He said, go ahead. But uh, this is this ministry we do right now, this is who we are. Uh, we strengthen local churches. We encourage saints. And we engage unredeemed people. The Corvette is an outreach tool for that means and end. But recently we opened up another front offering life to individuals that are very dear to me. And they're our men and our women in uniform. Our veterans... They're out there on the, the lines. They're giving us freedom. Most of us didn't even think about it today. Walked into a restaurant. Didn't worry, I didn't worry about a suicide bomber today. I didn't worry about some sniper taking a pot shot as I walked into the restaurant. Uh, you know, if we engage them over there, it's going to be less likely they're going to come over here. And so I appreciate these kids, and they're all kids to me now. Uh, I appreciate them laying their life down. So about a year or so ago, I started up a care package program to the troops, and I'm just going to introduce it. I'm going to give your pastor something, and then unzipping it. I'm zipping it. and am going to get to the preaching. But this has been a delight to get involved in. My heart loves this as well. We have three items we give the troops for free. Generally, we offer them through chaplains that are saved, love the Lord, and are lights out in that darkness. But sometimes they even go through commanders and command instruction Uh, structure depending on who I meet. But first we have the pocket packs and there are seven items in there and you can see now they're all branch specific. We have Marine Corps, we have the Coast Guard, we have two-star General Ron Henderson, Major General Ron Henderson addressing the Air Force guys. We have Commander Gil Hanson, tin can skipper, he addresses the sailors, and then Command Sergeant Major Archie Davis out of Fort Hood, Texas Retired in 2012. He commanded 65,000 troops at one time. One of the greatest joys I had, we posted our Corvette right on the base. We set up an outreach. We call it a fishing hole. And Sergeant Major Archie Davis, Sergeant Major only answers to the commanding officer. It don't matter who outran, he only He's the pit bull for the commanding officer. Two-star General Grimsley was who he was the pit bull for. So we got our display set up and we're registering people, soldiers for the free DVD to be delivered to their door by the local church, you know, and, and Sergeant Major, he'll he'll get out there as the young lieutenants are coming through and he gives them the salute and he said, now Lieutenant, you need to get over here and you need to sign up for that thing. No problem, Sergeant Major, no problem, boy, they just go, he just chases them over to engage and we can give them the gospel, you know, and so he's a delight, but he's followed us into evangelism. If you ever want a men's meeting, he's a leadership conference, uh, uh, men's meetings is what he's good at, brother, and uh, he's my front man for the pocket pack to the Army. Just last month, we gave out 400 400 pocket packs, went out to the troops, Navy, Army, um, Air Force, and we had a few National Guardsmen. Then, of course, the DVD, that's our second tool that we give out for free, and then the third one, which the troops really love, well, here, I'll just go ahead and pull it out of my pocket. It's a two gigabyte ammo thumb drive. All right, guys like this thing, and it's a waterproof ammo thumb drive, and we have five of my sermons on here, downloadable. We've got five clips from the DVD on here, downloadable. We have the dramatized audio of the book of John on here, downloadable. You say, 66 books in the Bible, why do you pick John? Well, John just throws the cards on the table. He says, I could have written about a lot, but these things have I written unto you that, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you might have life Through his name. So we have downloadable audio of John. Tyre King James Bible, PDF, downloadable. We've got 20 of my children's songs. Our kids cut seven recordings. 20 of their songs, Christian music, are on here. Uh, 135 screensavers of American icons, Statue of Liberty, um, Mount Rushmore, and then Bible verses to join up for a screensaver for your computer. So we got about $91 worth of ammo on this thumb drive. For the troops. I told you that to say this. If you want to help the outreach, there's two ways to do it. Throw something in the blue box on my table. That goes directly to the to our outreach to the troops. Whether people put something toward this or not, we, we take care of it. We send it anyhow as the orders come in. We fill the orders. We send them out. The second way you can buy a thumb drive. 25 bucks is what I sell them for. That pays for your thumb drive. And that pays for another one. And ammo's no good unless you're sending it downrange. So you get ammo, they get ammo. And you say, what kind of impact has your outreach had? I'm going to hand this to my wife because there's, I'm not going to set it here. Huh? I'll just hand this all to you. And let me read you one brief message from a lieutenant commander in the Navy. He sent this to me a while back. I get a lot of correspondence, but this one said it so well. He said, hello, Brother David. I want to thank you for all the support you provide to us here at SOI West Coast, which is infantry training over in Camp Pendleton. Each Sunday we make use of the materials your ministry provides to us. And I realize you have some wonderful folks and churches who support you in this ministry to our Marines, so please pass on to them my gratitude. We are seeing many young men come to faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. and The materials you send to us are a tool in that effort. Listen to this. As I've mentioned before, we have an average of 15 young men trusting Christ as their Savior every Sunday. And Some Sundays we see as many as 40 get saved. Now let's put it in context. He preaches to 200 to 500 Marines every Sunday. He said they're scared, they're homesick, most have never even heard the gospel. When I saw him... For the first time, I found out what he did, and he told me he deals with the the young Marines right out of boot camp, doing their infantry training before they go over to the war zone. I said, well, how do you deal with them spiritually, chap? Because all chaplains vary. I mean, some, I'll be quite frank, some aren't worth even saluting. I'll just tell you the truth. They're, They're not interested in getting the gospel. They're just interested in a paycheck and hanging out with the guys at the bars, you know. Been there. I've been on the inside as a line Marine. I know what I'm talking about here. But some of those guys, they really do care for these kids. It's not a paycheck. It's a ministry. And this is what he said to me, old southern boy. He's. I said, how do you deal with these Marines? He said, basically, Brother Dave, I preach the devil out of them. That's my kind of chaplain. Because we got a lot of devil in every one of us. We need preached out. Amen? And uh, he's my kind of guy. And so we've hooked up with some key guys Getting these materials in, I think I mentioned, even in a Navy kiosk worldwide, we're on the verge of maybe seeing that happen, and uh, that's an amazing step. We never thought we'd even be getting tapped for consideration. But uh, if you want to help, Blue Box, you want to help and have something to show for it too, personally, just pick up a thumb drive or think of somebody you can send it to. Trust me, they're well-received, and there's enough spiritual ammo in there to light up a soul and bring them to life through Jesus Christ, all right? All right, take your Bibles tonight, and let's go to the book of Exodus chapter 3. What a shock. You had no clue where I was heading tonight. But Exodus chapter 3, And once you find your place, if you're able to stand comfortably, stand with me, and I'll know that you have it, Exodus chapter 3. I want to put a plug in for tomorrow night's message. It's a very new thought that the Lord has used in my life. It's a standalone thought, and it'll have a worksheet that you fill out as you go through it. So I would encourage you, come back tomorrow night. This thought will revolutionize your Christian life and your prayer life in particular tomorrow night. So you come back if you can and bring a visitor. Certainly we would appreciate having them. Exodus chapter 3, verse number 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you, the always existing God. Now verse 15 has been our focus the past couple nights. And God said "Moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, he says. This is my memorial unto all generations. I would like to conclude tonight a little thought we began two nights ago, tapping that 15th verse and looking at a name that God wants to be known by for perpetual generations. I want to conclude the thought of the series I've entitled The God of Abraham, The God of Isaac, and tonight The God of Jacob. Let's pray. Our Father, tonight we come to you, and Lord, we recognize that you are the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Father, we thank you for the honor we have to call you Father. We know this is afforded us by the blood of Calvary, the sacrifice of your son, the seed of Abraham, our Savior. Thank you for the day, though we were outside looking in. We now have boldness to come before you because of the blood of your Son. In His name, we we pray Your blessing on our time, Lord. The busy thoughts today, I pray You'd set them aside for a moment. The burdens, Lord, that may be on hearts, that You just You'd set them aside and help each of us as Your people tonight to focus on You, to understand who You are and how You operate as the God of Jacob. Lord, may tonight for every believer that's here. May this message build them and grow them. Thank you, Lord, tonight. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thank you most of all. Because of your son, we call you Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Two nights ago, we began looking at who the God of Abraham was. And I submit it for your consideration and that association with Abraham. He's the God who favors his people. But then last night we looked at the God of Isaac. The miracle baby given to Abraham and Sarah, 90 to 100 years of age. Or in this church, Brent and Sylvia. They were my illustration the other night. <laughs> Brother Steve goes, what? <laughs> yeah. We all laughed when we heard that one too. But the God of Isaac, I submit for your consideration, is the God who fulfills his promises. But tonight I wonder who is the God of Jacob? What can we learn about him in his association with Jacob and how he operates with you and I? Well, before I give you the answer, I want to go ahead and do a brief sketch. Who was Jacob? Well, let me say it this way. First of all, Jacob was a rascal. All right, Jacob was less than stellar, if you will, and his character was less than honorable. His name literally means deceiver. And he lives up to his name in Genesis chapter 27. Go there with me and look with me at a brief character sketch and bio of Jacob. Jacob was a rascal. His name means deceiver. His character was less than honorable. And in Genesis chapter 27, we see him live up to his name and we get a glimpse of his deplorable character. In Genesis chapter 27, Rebecca hatches a plot with Jacob to steal the birthright from Esau by deceiving Jacob's father, Isaac. Notice, pick the narrative up in verse 5. Genesis 27 and verse 5. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau, his son, and Esau went into the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat, that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Look at what she says in verse 8. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats. And I will make them savor meat for thy father such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father that he may eat and that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. I am a smooth man. My father, peradventure, will feel me and... I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. And look at his mother's response in verse 13. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice, and go fetch me them. And, and notice in verse fifteen, Rebecca took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the ghosts upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck, and she gave the savory meat and bread which she had prepared in the hand of her son Jacob. Here he comes now. Here's his character on display, verse 18. And, and he said unto him, and he came unto his father, and he said, My father, and he said, Here am I, who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, verse 19, I am Esau, thy firstborn. Now, if you have a pen, maybe you want to write the word beside verse 19 that I wrote there. I underlined it. I put a little red line underneath it. I put an exclamation point after the word. Liar. He's not Esau. He's Jacob. He's lying to his dad to rip off the birthright, the instruction of his mother. Well, He goes on, though, verse 20. Isaac said unto his son, Dad's suspicious, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? No hunt ever went that well. And he said, because the Lord thy God brought it to me. Write the word again, liar. His mother brought it to him. He's throwing God's name under the bus now. Verse 21, Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto Isaac, his father. He felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him and he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. Liar. Who's Jacob? His name means deceiver. His character? Less than honorable. He lives up to his very name here in Genesis 27. He lies three times to his father to get the inheritance. Hey, you want to know what else he was? Let me just get frank about it. He's a mama's boy. He was mommy's little favorite. Mommy's always looking out for this one. He's mama's boy. That's who he was. You know what else? He's an effeminate little thing. He didn't even have hair on his chest. Y'all with me? He's he's effeminate, and, and he's, uh, he's, he's a gutless little wimp. He sends women and children ahead of him. If you put him in today's language, you know who this kid was? This kid was a nerdy, wimpy, lying, cheating, conniving, disgusting little computer geek of a mommy's boy. That's who Jacob was. And God says, I want to be the God of that. Jacob wasn't much to write home about, a lot of baggage, a lot of bad habits. But 20 years later, we see him grow spiritually, and he begins to draw close to the Lord. He returns to a special place. Go to Genesis 35. And in that place, he renames it. Look in Genesis chapter 35, 20 years later. Look at his return to this very special place that he had fled to when his brother went to kill him after he ripped off the inheritance. In Genesis 35, and verse number 2, the Bible says, Then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments, and let us arise, and look at this, and go up to... Bethel and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. look at verse 6 so Jacob came to lose which is in the land of Canaan that is Bethel he and all the people that were with him and look at verse 7 and he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother you know in those early years Jacob wasn't much to write home about but years later, two decades later, we see him grow spiritually, cleans up his life and puts away the false gods and comes back to a place called Bethel. And there he renames it. Bethel means house of God. El Bethel means the God of the house of God. It wasn't just a place. It wasn't just a building. This thing got bigger. It became a relationship. It became the person of that place. Not just the place. And There at that place. God changes his name. Look in verse number 10. And God said unto him. Thy name is Jacob. That means Deceiver. Thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob. Look at how his name is changed. But what is it? Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. Jacob means deceiver. But Israel means prince with God. You say, preacher, who's this God of Jacob? What's the little acrostics? What's the little uh, verbiage here so I can catch this? The God of Abraham is the God who favors his people. Amen? The God of Isaac is the God who fulfills his promises. But the God of Jacob, he's the God who finishes his plan. He's the God who finishes his plan. I want to say tonight, the God of Jacob is not just working on Jacob, but I want to say tonight, the day you got saved, the God of Jacob began working on you. And you and I needed to be worked on the day we got saved and entered this father's family because you and I were just little Jacob and Jacob pets. The day we got saved, we were taken up out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay. And our feet were set upon a rock, and He established our goings. He put a new song in our mouth, even praise to our God. Many have seen it and heard and fear Him and come to know Him. Let me tell you something about when you get pulled out of miry clay. I'm a farm boy. You don't come out clean. You enter, you come out of that pit of miry clay and you've got, you're covered in clay. You with me? It takes a long time to get that off you. And when you and I got saved, some of us come out of the clay of worldliness. Some of us were pulled out of the clay of wickedness and filthy sins. Some of you were pulled out of the clay of selfishness and self righteousness and pride. And we entered our father's family as little Jacobs and Jacobettes. We had closets needing cleansed. We had habits needing changed. Every one of us had attitudes that needed to be adjusted. And for some of us driving through life looking in the rearview mirror, some of us had some baggage emotional, spiritual, financial, marital baggage that needed jettison. We didn't step into our Christianity glowing like Moses where people couldn't look at us. We're a project under construction amen but the god of jacob goes to work on us when we enter his family you and i may have begun as a jacob but when he's done we'll finish as an israel can you remember those early jacob years i roll back the clock i was saved in 1980 i was a young marine at the time and I remember within the first year, first of all, I remember the unbridled zeal and sometimes self-righteous pride because I had the truth and others didn't. I remember a day came, I was just a year old in the Lord, and I was home on leave in May, and all of a sudden that Saturday morning the phone rang and to my mom and dad's house, and I heard my mother come up wailing, her father had died, Grandpa Burquist. He died with a gospel tract that I'd given him right by his hand. I have no clue if he ever got saved. My prayer is he did. Heart attack. and So I extended my leave. I decided to stay over. I'm the only one saved at that point in our family. And as we began to prepare for Grandpa's funeral, the Marine Corps allowed me to stay, and my grandmother asked me to preach the graveside service. But the funeral was going to be held in the Masonic Lodge. Grandpa was a Mason. I didn't know anything about masonry. All my family were masons, both sides. It was Eastern Star, masons, all that stuff. I'm just a newly saved kid, one-year-old in the Lord, coming to my grandpa's funeral. I went in totally with no prejudice whatsoever. But as I stepped into that funeral parlor, and they begin to come out with their little lambskin aprons, they begin to talk about how George William Burquist knocked on a Masonic lodge looking for light. My little radar went, light, Jesus is the light of the world. But they never said Jesus' name one time. They begin to talk about how he was looking for truth. I went, whoa, I know who that is. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But they never said the name of Jesus Christ one single time. And as I weathered that pagan, and I'll call it, that's what it it just reeked of paganism. I thought, what is this? I was in full dress uniform. Afterwards, I went out and I preached a message for Grandpa. It's finished. His life is done. Words of sorrow. It's finished, our chance to ever talk to him again. Words of regret. If you wanted something to to get right, it's too late now. One day for you, it'll be finished. But out of those words of sorrow, sadness, and regret... There was a Savior who cried those words, and it wasn't sorrow. It was victory, for the finished work of Calvary pays for our sin. And I preach Jesus Christ and the finished work of Calvary. I'll never forget, Brother Man, Pastor Van Man and I'm coming. I finish up, and these elderly ladies, afterwards, they come up. They go, oh, we're so glad. Oh, we're so glad you said that. We don't know what was going on in there. Oh, we're so glad the truth got to you. I mean, you know, and, and guess what? Guess what little Jacob did, one-year-old in the Lord. <sighs> So on the way home, sitting in the station wagon, Dad's driving home. I'm sitting in the back seat. Dad's a Mason. I said, Dad, what's up with that Masonic junk, you know? And I start talking to him, and he starts talking to me, and I start jabbing him, and he starts jabbing back. And then I pushed his button so hard, I'll never forget. He turned and he cussed at me. I said, Oh, is that your Masonic training coming out, Dad? He said, What was your pr-? just the little old Jacob? unbridled zeal, not the truth and I'm going to beat you to death with it, no grace. Y'all with me? I jumped, I came into this Christianity as a Jacob. Unbridled zeal, ready, fire, aim. (laughs) You remember those years? Y'all with me? How about the lack of discernment as early Jacobs sometimes? I remember just about the same time, my gunny sergeant come into my shop one day, and he said, Summerdorf. He said, come here. I come over. What's up, gunny? He said, listen. He said, Hollywood's coming up to Port Townsend. They're filming a movie. It's called Officer and Gentleman. It's going to feature richer gear, and they need about 20 Marines in that movie. And son, we're picking the best we got. You're one of the best. We want you in the movie. You want in? I said, yes, sir. Put me in there, man. What an opportunity. Be a testimony, a Christian in Hollywood, I'm thinking to myself. That was a Wednesday. So Wednesday night come, prayer meeting time. Everybody's giving testimonies. I'm in Brother Pris church over in Oak Harbor. About 250 people in the Wednesday night prayer meeting. Praise the Lord this, praise the Lord that, pray for it. And Jacob stands up. Oh, I got a testimony. And Brother Prisk, he sits up there. He said, yeah, Brother Somerdorf, Brother Dave. I said, you know what? I just want to praise the Lord for the opportunity to be in a movie. Hollywood's coming to Port Townsend. I'll be across from Richard here. I just want to praise the Lord for an opportunity as a Christian to be in Hollywood and be a testimony. You could have heard a pin drop in the auditorium. I mean, people's heads ducking down, you know, acting like they're praying, looking for paperwork. I mean, everybody is like, I'm standing there like, whoa, whoa, what did I say? You know, I mean, Gear had just come off a real spiritual movie called American Jigolo. You know, had no idea what the rating was. You know what I'm saying? This is the guy I am excited to be with. I hate to say those words in here. You know what I'm saying? And I'll never forget Brother Prince. And I wound him up. He just looked at me and said, well, we'll be praying for you, Brother Dave. And uh, after the service, could I see you in my office, please? I'll never forget. That's exactly what he said. he said. And I went in and talked to him. He said, now, now, Brother Dave, tell me again what's going on. He'd always ask that question. And I told him, all excited. Brother Dave, do you know, do you know what the rating of that movie is going to be? I, I don't know. I never thought about that. He said, "Well, you know, maybe it's R. Maybe you know, I don't know what the rating is. I'm, I'm afraid to ask. Who knows?" But anyhow, <laughs> but uh, he said, "I be you know, Maybe God will call you in the ministry. Maybe that isn't going to be a good association." And I'll never forget. I looked at him, I said, do "You think maybe I ought to hold my name?" He said, "Brother, you do what you." I think the Lord wants you to do, but you know, if it was me, I'd probably pull my name. I pulled my name. Say, what was your problem? <laughs> Just a little old Jacob. You know, lack of discernment, unbridled zeal, mixed with pride and some self-righteousness. You know, y'all. Don't look at me like that. We all began as a Jacob. But when this thing's over, you and I will be a prince and princess with our God. And you say, why is that? We all begin as a Jacob, but we finish as an Israel. Go to Philippians 1. Philippians 1, you say, oh, what a great message. That's the porch. Now we're walking in the house. Here comes the message. Philippians chapter 1 Philippians chapter one. Why? Why is it that we may begin as a Jacob, but when this thing's done, our our whole everything about us will change, and we'll be in Israel. We'll be a prince with God. And Philippians tells us why, and it's because what God starts, He finishes. Philippians chapter one. Look at what's said here. Philippians one and verse number six. Philippians one six says this: Being confident, Spirit of God here to the church of Philippi says, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you. Look at me. The day you got saved, God didn't begin a bad work in you. He began a good work in you. What he did was good, not bad. Amen? He started working on you. He started working in you now that you belong to his family. And, and it says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, look at this word, will perform it. Now, word perform literally means finish it until the day of Jesus You say, why does everybody who enters his family as a Jacob at the end of this whole thing become an Israel? Because what God starts, he finishes. And you may have started as a Jacob or Jacobet, but at the end of this thing, you're going to be an Israel. You're going to be a prince or princess with your God. The God of Jacob finishes his plan. Now I'm going to step aside I'm going to just take a step back here. I want to shift gears. I'm going to ask a very simple theological question. I do not want anybody blurting out an answer. You may raise your hand. I'm sorry, we're going to go to elementary rules here. You may raise your hand if you have an answer, and I may or may not call on you. But you know blurting, okay? It's a very. I'm going to shift gears. It's a simple question. What is the ultimate destination? Listen clear carefully. What is the ultimate destination that God has in mind for everybody who gets saved and delivered from hell? Very simple theological question. What is the ultimate destination that your God has in mind for everybody who gets saved and delivered from hell in the lake of fire? What's the the destination he has in mind when he snatches you from hell, he saves you? What's the destination? Anybody have an idea? Anybody have an idea? Okay, some hands are going up, some hands are going up, some hands are going up. I'm not calling on you, Steve. I'm not even going to talk to you. You've talked enough today, all right? All right. Put your hands up. I want to see if anybody even has an idea. It's not a hard question. There's a Bible answer. All right? Sis? Okay, heaven. It's a pretty common answer. How many agree with that? Heaven. Okay. Hmm. Okay, now that is a destination, but that's not the destination. You want to know why? Because if we all got up there right now just the way we are, it ain't gonna be heaven anymore. We're gonna mess up the neighborhood. Okay, y'all with me? You, you trust me? I can mess up my home. What do you think I'm gonna do to God's home? Okay, I can mess. You can too. All right, so there's no, there's a different destination. The ultimate destination your God had in mind when He saved you and delivered you from hell was not heaven. That is a destination, the ultimate destination. Go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, the Bible gives the answer. Believe me, I'm glad I'm going to heaven. I'm glad that's going to be my home one day forever and ever, amen. But in the heart of your God, there's something that comes before that that's even more important to him, and it's why he saved you. Romans chapter 8 gives the answer. Look at what's said here in Romans chapter 8. In verse number 29. Here it comes. Romans 8 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he could see in advance who's going to get saved. He also did predestinate to be. You see in it? Conformed to the image of his son. When God saved you from your sin, yes, sis, you're right. Heaven is a destination. But you know what the ultimate one is? He saved you to conform you to the image of his son. And notice, look at the strong word in there. It's predestinated. The day he saved you, he predestinated you to be conformed to the image of Don't let the Calvinists blow that beautiful word out of the word of God. Don't even go there. Predestinated is a very biblical concept, and it's a very biblical word. What does predestinated mean? It simply means preset destination. Hey, you know what? Here, let me, let me illustrate this way. How many of you ever ridden on commercial aviation? How many of you ever flew a flight, commercial aviation? All right. All right. What do they do when they, just before they close the hatch and they begin to push back and, they, you know, you, you hear the engine starts spooling up, you hear the crackle of the intercom and you hear something like this. Uh, here. Welcome to United Airlines Flight 779. This is your captain speaking. Service 2, blah, blah, blah. Final destination, blah. Now, why do they do that before the flight takes off? Catch the one idiot on the wrong flight. Oh, yeah. A few years back when I owned that business up in Alaska, I flew out from Anchorage and I flew down to Chicago O'Hare with a little bump flight to Detroit. I was going to Marketing Director's Academy. Our headquarters was in Detroit, Michigan. I'm the boss, man. I got... Three of my guys with me that are sub-distributors and working into the academy. And and so it was a three-day academy. And so we took the red eye out. We landed in Chicago O'Hare about 6 in the morning. And about 45 minutes later, a little hot flight takes you to Detroit. and Boom, to work you go. Now, I'm a nut about airports. All right? I love aviation. I purposely schedule long layovers so I can spend time in airports. I could live in an airport because there's always coffee, there's always food, and there's always funny People to watch. I love it. I just love watching people. And I'm a pilot. I'm a private pilot, and I I love aviation. Cars. I'm serious. The Corvette doesn't do a thing for. It is not my love. It's a tool, not a toy. You give me a Super Cub now. Now we're talking. All right. But uh, so we landed in Chicago here at 6 o'clock in the morning. I go get my my cup of coffee. I tell the guys, hey, I'll be back in a bit, you know. And uh, a little bit later, I come back. I'm sipping coffee. I'm talking to people. I say, all right, I'm going to board the flight. See you guys on there. And I get in line with my ticket. But what I don't notice is two flights are boarding at the same time and they're funneling through the same kiosk area. So I'm running my mouth, you know, talking to somebody, me and Mr. Socialite, and i I'm, my flight's over there, that door, and I get shutted off to the door over here. So I hand a little stewardess, this is years ago. I handed her they don't blip, they weren't blipping back then, you know, the scan. You just hand them your, your paper ticket. I handed her that and I went. Get down, walk, the, walk down, and got my garment bag, got my briefcase, store the briefcase, hang the garment bag up. And then I, um, there, there's my seat, aisle seat. I love aisle seats. I hate getting caught. in So aisle seats, you know. And I'm sitting there, aisle seat. And, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And flight's getting pretty full. Where are those three guys? Hmm, so help me if they miss this flight. I'm going to choke them. I paid for their tickets. This is stupid. You know, I'm starting to get wound up. Boss is getting wound up. Where are they? And my destination is Detroit. And then all of a sudden, I hear that crackle. <laughs> yeah, this is your captain speaking. Welcome to Northwest Airlines Flight 773, service to Cincinnati, Ohio. Final destination, Fort Lauderdale. <gasps> <gasps> flight and then I became the salmon you know going upstream you know trying working my way through people getting my garment bag briefcase you know getting out and I remember I come out of that door the wrong door I came out and I looked out of the waiting area ah it's empty. Everybody's on their flight except moi. And I tell the little stewardess, I said, ma'am, I said, I got on the wrong flight. I'm supposed to be on that one over there. Could you could you find my ticket? Sir, I'm processing the paper. I said, the name's Summer Dork. Just look for Summer Dork. And I said, just look for that. And I went running over here. I came running over, you know, garment bag briefcase. I said, ma'am, I'm supposed to be on your flight? I, I got on the wrong flight. I said, could you hold the flight for me? Sir, I can't make any promises. In two minutes, I'm closing the gate. <laughs> you know, and I go running back over. I said. Did you find my ticket? She says it's right there. Thank you! And I come running back across, and it's like I got my ticket. I got my ticket. And I'll never forget what she said. As I handed her the ticket, she tore off the tub, handed it to me. She said, "You just made it." It's like, news Newsflash. Man, <laughs> my tie's all messed up, you know. Hair's messed up. What little I got. I'm sitting there, guy. Get inside. She, I mean, she slammed that door right behind me. <sighs> three guys are in there. And I remember I, I'm walking down the jetway, and just before I get on the jet, yeah, hey, boys, good to see you. Yeah, I had an extra cup of coffee, you know. To this day, they do not know that the boss almost missed a flight. I felt like getting a hat and said, I'm a leader. Which way did they go? You know, I mean, What is that predestinated thing? It's that jet. That jet has a flight plan filed. They already know where they're going. And when that door gets sealed, and they spool the engines up, and the fuel runs through all them turbines, at the end of the day, that thing is preset to land over there. And the day you got saved, the captain of your faith filed a flight plan on you. And at the end of everything he's got planned for you, and everything coming down the pike at the end of this deal, when your life finishes, you're going to be just like Jesus Christ. That's the God of Jacob. Now, he has a two-fold process in place. Go to Hebrews with me. The first process is taking place right now. It's a current process, and then there's a future one to finish off anything that's lacking. At the end of this all, he wants you to be just like his son. And notice the current process he puts in place to everyone that enters his family. In Hebrews, in chapter 12, it's noted here. Hebrews chapter 12, look what's said in in verse number 5. The God of Jacob is the God who finishes his plan. He finishes his plan. His goal is to conform you to the image of your son now that you entered his family and he's your father. And look at the first process he brings into your life. Hebrews 12, look at what's said in verse 5. He says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation, Hebrews 12, 5, which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, notice he's speaking to children, despise not thou the, what? Chastening. Of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. The day you got saved, you didn't enter a grandpa's home, you entered a father's home. He ain't just gonna dote on you and give you candy and flowers. He's gonna love you with a very purposeful love to mature you to build you, and to move you toward his benchmark of spirituality, not yours. And everything our Father does is on purpose. It's not accidental. I remember early in my Christianity, I was asked to hold a Bible study on a Monday night. Warrant Officer Bob Bliss was the one that was discipling me at the time. And prior to that, I had an eight-hour watch. as Corporal the Guard in our hangar. And so they would allow you to do whatever you wanted as long as every, every hour for 10 minutes you spelled and relieved the hangar watch, and then you monitored the phone. So that's just the way watch it is, you know, it's boring. And so I said that, that Friday night when I had the watch, I said, you know what? I'm going to use that time to get ready for that Bible. First Bible study I was ever going to teach. I figured I needed eight hours to get ready for that. You know how that is. You study for eight hours, and you, you share what you studied in eight hours. You share it in ten minutes. And you know what I picked for my topic? Chastisement. Oh, yeah. Here was my, here was, and when you read Hebrews 12, it just, that just that verse, that section all by itself, here was my benchmark. God chastens his children. He doesn't chasten those that aren't his. Okay. That was my benchmark. That's fair, isn't it? I mean, you read Hebrews 12. You know, you you get chastened. You get scourged. You enter the Father. You know, da-da-da-da-da-da. And so I'm almost done with the study. Six and a half hours in, and I come across Psalm 9410. And guess what that psalm said? You ready for this? Does not he that chastiseth the heathen? (laughs) Why did that burst? have to be there. I mean, it blew my whole study sky high. You know what first thing I was going to do, Pastor? I just was going to just bury it and not even share it. I just going to stay with my mindset. I mean, nobody was going to check up. You know, people don't even they don't even research what you preach. Just preach, brother. I don't... But I couldn't get away from that. I thought, okay, so who's the heathen? I went to the root word, Hebrew, Greek, whatever, you know. Oh, it's just... It's the heathens. Somebody doesn't belong to God. They're not regenerate. They're, (sighs) (sighs) Psalm 94.10. Psalm 94.10. If that's what you were looking for. I got a lot of other good verses too, but if that's the one you want. Psalm 94.10. All right, Brent. (laughs) So I started studying it out. You know what I found out? In Scripture, there's two kinds of chastisement. Two kinds of chastisement. I labeled them so I could categorize them. The first chastisement I found is called, I just put this label, it's compensational chastisement. It's retribution for sin. Whether you're lost or you're saved, retribution for sin happens. It's like the law of gravity. Somebody stands on a ten-story building and says, I am going to jump to my death. Choom, splat. Somebody saved says, but I'm saved. Well, gravity still you got a lost splat, you got a save splat. you got a splat. Okay, it's gravity. The wages of sin is death. It can be emotional death. Why do you think some marriages die? Because somebody through infidelity killed off the feelings the other person had. The wages of sin is death, emotional, spiritual, physical, every way you want to measure it. Sin brings death. It don't matter if you're saved or lost. I remember my I remember I had a guy in in my in my room as a young young Marine and one Saturday morning I walk in back to the room from Chow Hall and guess what? He's hugging the toilet bowl, puking his guts out, and here's what he said. Oh, I know I'm saved. Blah I'd never been this sick before when I got drunk. Blah I remember looking at that, going you gotta be kidding me. I guess I was saved a lot earlier than I thought I was, because I used to get sick when I got drunk too. Just because you get sick when you get drunk doesn't prove you're saved. It proves you're stupid. Y'all with me? I know stupid's a bad word, but you can edit that out before you put it on. stupid. It's a good description, bad word. Just because your sins judge you doesn't mean you're saved. No, there's a chastisement that only comes to believers. Watch this. Look at Hebrews 12. We slip words in there. Look at verse 6. Hebrews 12, 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son who sins. No. Every son who's bad. No. Every son whom he receiveth. What is it? I call it instructional chastisement. It's entering the Father's classroom. Christian, do you know tonight you can be in the center of God's will? You've yielded and surrendered known sin as you have He's touched it. To the best of your knowledge, you're walking with Him. And He'll still allow something in your life to stretch you, to try you, to build you. He's not cursing you. He's building you. Into the image of his son. He is not going to bring trials into lost people's lives other than to deal with their sin until they get so sick of it they finally turn to the Savior. But then when they turn to the Savior, he puts them in the classroom. He teaches them patience. He teaches them forbearance. He teaches them uh, uh, purity. There's things the Father wants us to grow in in areas. He will not waste the classroom on a lost person. They have to be in his family first. Amen? Can you remember some of the tests? And You failed them because you were sold the lie that God just wants good things for you. Somebody told you that they're lying to you. Besides, good and bad is a total relative term. My kid, my grandkids, you know what they think? Grandpa's good when all he does is give them candy. But that's bad. You with me? It's not really that bad because you can send them home to their parents. People say, why do grandparents and grandchildren have such a wonderful relationship? It's because they have a mutual enemy. (laughs) Oreo cookies and Coca-Cola for breakfast? Why, sure, sweetheart. Mommy's not here. Then you hand over the, you know, hammy who's just looked like they've been nuked on Red Bull. And mom says, what's up with him? I'm just a little wound up. (laughs) It's not a good family conference topic, but, you know, one day we'll come through and preach better stuff. I remember some of the tests that would come my way. I remember in the ministry a test that would always replay itself. It was always my border crossing between Canada and Alaska. Our six children and my wife and I, every time we crossed that border, if I was coming south, Americans treated me worse than the Canadian border. I'm in a motorhome. i got a tent ministry behind me. Some of our family ministries. And I'll never forget, we were coming out of Vancouver, British Columbia, preaching for Pastor Getty, if you know Pastor Getty, Filipino church up there. And we put in a full-week conference, and we are tired. We are stretched. And all six of the kids, I said, don't get in your jammies. We've got to cut the border first. And we'll pull over at Blaine, and we'll find a rest area, and we'll crash, you know, about 1130 at night. So we've come up to the border to Peace Arts there, heading south. Man, looking forward to getting in. Getting home, you know. One car in front of us, man. 60 seconds, their wave through. I come up, go ahead and push, put the parking brake on, flip the rig off. Been doing this all the time. Slide the window, and the guy says, how many traveling? I said, eight. He said, what's your state of residence? I said, uh, or what's your country, nationality? I said, United States citizens. You got proof on that? Sure do. I handed him eight passports. My wife and I, six kids. guy, he begins to thumb through the passports. He said... Uh, Six of these are kids. Yes, sir. He said, uh, do you have birth certificates on them? I said, no. I said, passport trumps everything. Well, no, birth certificate's better. I said, why? How do I know those six kids are yours? Now, I'm tired. I'm serving the Lord. I'm not living in any known sin that I'm aware of. And this American guy, he's on my side. I'm the same country. i got a Marine Corps sticker in my windshield. It's like... And so, you know, I am, hmm, mm. And I felt like saying, well, what kind of retard travels around with somebody else's six teenage kids? But I just zipped it. But I mean, I was like, hmm, hmm. So he said, uh, I need you to go ahead and park up there, bring everybody inside. When they say that, means you're going to go through your whole vehicle for 45 minutes. It's 11.40 at night. So he's turning to go in, and I don't let him go in. I said, wait a minute. What? I said, why? Every time I come to my country, you guys do this to me. I said, I go north. The Canucks don't give me this kind of problem, but you do. I'm Marine Corps. I'm you. What in the world do you have to go? And I'm reading him as I do this because as you do this, if you push him over the edge, you will get your vehicle stripped down to parade rest. You will be putting it back together for six hours. They will put you on their little list. But I am ticked, man. Jacob's coming out. And as I'm sitting there, I say, and then his supervisor joins in and I'm going, and he says, What's the problem? I said, Hey. And I just go back into the deal. And he goes, well, you know, and, and and they don't know what to do, but you can see it's starting to ratchet up. My wife's over there going, be a sheep. She's praying, be a sheep, be a sheep. I don't want to be a sheep. This is stupid. This is my country. This is how I'm thinking. And finally, I can tell, man, if I open my mouth one more time, it is over. It is so over. I am going so regret pushing the general's button. You know what I'm saying? So I said, all right. And I pull ahead, set the brakes, shut the rig off. All eight of us come in, including Norton, my dog. comes He comes in too. No, he was Norton. I called him Norton. One of these days, Norton. And in they come. Patches was his name. We get in there, and, and as soon as we get in, there, they treat you like you're you're a criminal. I mean, there's no decorum. They're just you know. They say, "All right, give me your keys." Here, here's the form, you fill out what's in there, everything, don't miss anything. It's like, huh? you know, it's like, you know, you feel like, oh man, I'm going to get frisked, you know. And and so they just take the keys, they don't say thank you, head off, and, and and then you're supposed to write down everything that's in your, your motorhome. It's your home. I mean, I could be here for two hours, I don't even know what's in the thing, you know. And what really would tort me is they'd always search my motorhome, but they, how many times do you think they searched my trailer? How many times do you even think they asked what was in my cargo trailer? Zero. It was a universal invisible trailer. If I had a fertilizer bomb, that's where I'd have had the thing. They never even asked to look at it. Strike that. (laughs) Don't put that on the air. All right. Well, actually, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was Centennial Baptist Church that I said that. (laughs) Pastor Tony Van Manen, Right. And his wife's Amy. <laughs> Where are my deacons? <laughs> but, and so it's like, what? I mean, what is the system here? And so here's what happened, man. They grab all my gear. Off they go. And I am torqued, man. It's midnight now. I just... Mm. And if you've ever been in that situation, it's a big horseshoe counter like this. And the opening right here, there's a red dotted line. There's a red line that goes right across, right here. And there's a huge plaque that says, under no circumstances do you cross that red line. I'm telling you the truth, I did it as an evangelist, brother. I did I just... I just had to do it. I was in <laughs> So they come back. Okay. They don't even say thank you. Here's your keys. Don't even say have a good night. Oh. I get back in the motor room. Kids get back in there. And I'm sitting there. And I flop down in the seat. And I look at my wife. I said, how come every time I come to my country, this is what the greeting is I get? How come every time they have to do this to me and search the ring? she's over there. And this is what she said. Well, maybe if you pass the test, God wouldn't keep giving it to you. Mm. I really hate it when she's right. I pulled that stunt one more time, Brother Brent, and they found three pieces of fruit they could have fined me a hundred bucks a piece for, put me on the blacklist, and double searched, triple searched me every time I came. And the guy said, We'll let you go this time, but you need to be more careful. My children watch me give our security a rough time and in front of my kids, I'll never forget. I walked across traffic because it was the guy at the booth that told me to go. I walked across traffic. I said, thank you for doing your job and I'm sorry. The kid said, where were you, Dad? Apologizing to that guy. Dad was wrong. Dad's always been wrong on this one. This time, Dad figured out why, so he gave the apology, but it'd just been better if I'd have told him I'm sorry to start with and never done it. Sometimes there are little tests like that just don't make sense. God's stretching me, just teaching me to be patient, teaching me to be gracious when my sponge gets squeezed. You all with me? Sometimes there are big tests, betrayal by friends, men we served with, attempting to become bitter, the bearing of a loved one. Manuel Gregory, anybody know that guy? He looks like Magic Johnson's spitting image twin. Black preacher he preaches with me once in a while we were down preaching in Texas together Manuel Gregory was in college ball in North Dakota he could have gone pros he decided to be a church planter preacher he and his twin brother preach across the nation today he had just buried his daughter Stephanie a 13 year old girl two weeks earlier when I preached this message with him in the congregation I'll never forget I finished the message sat in the front row he come from the other side of the church big six foot five six foot six kid Manuel, he got down on his knees and just hugged me and wept. He said, preacher, I needed that thought. I got a Jacob finishes his plan. There's a whole bunch of Jacob in every one of us. He wants to remove that dross. He wants to purify us. So he allows things in our life to stretch us to try us he may not even be living in sin He puts us in the classroom to build our faith and make us behave like his son yeah. that is a current process you said oh swell you mean if I just stayed lost I'd have just gotten the compensational chastisement now that I'm saved he still compensates me for my sin and puts me in the classroom. you got to be kidding me. If I'd have known that, I'd have never gotten saved. Too late. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This flight has already taken off. You can fuss about the food. You can fuss about the service. You can fuss about the turbulence. You can fuss about the plane and the routing the captain takes. But you're on this sucker till you get home. Why don't you quit fussing and try to be a blessing to the people around you and try to learn what the captain is trying to teach you. This ain't about your happiness. It's about his holiness. And it's about Christ's likeness. Because that's what the world needs today. Phony don't cut it. Real is what God wants. The present process is painful. The present process does sometimes never makes sense. But he said, I'll never let something in your life above that which ye are able. If you turn to him. He'll give the grace you need. And then there's a future one. Look with me. Ephesians chapter 1. We're about done tonight. The God of Jacob is the God who finishes His plan. In Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. Another predestinated destination. And look at what's said in Ephesians 1.5. Scripture uses that word again. Ephesians 1.5 says, Having predestinated us. There it is again, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Oh, here's a second preset destination. It's called the adoption of children. You say, Oh, is that my salvation? No, it's not, not according to the Bible. What is that? Go to Romans 8. Go back to Romans 8 and look at how the Bible explains itself. In Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, the adoption is noted again in Romans 8 and verse 15. And look at what the Bible says. Romans 8.15 says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. There it is, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. What is the adoption? Verse 23 is the answer. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves growing within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. What is that? It's predestinated to wit, which means, which is the redemption of our body. The day you got saved, you were predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son. No getting off this flight. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit promise. But you are also predestinated to have your old body redeemed. Let me tell you something. There's coming a day where every one of us, barring the rapture, barring the bodily resurrection, the Lord's return, we're going to let out our last breath of fetid air. You know what's going to happen? We're going to step across to the other side and inhale celestial air and be clothed about with a new body just like his. A body that can never sin. A mind that can never think a wicked thought. A tongue that can never say a bitter word. Debbie's there. Your wife's there. Some of you that lost loved ones saved, they've already been clothed. And here's what's going to happen. Whatever's lacking in this Christ-likeness, it'll all be made up for in that moment. All of it. But here's the thing. God wants us to yield, to yield, to yield to everything that comes in our life now and learn and grow and trust So that when that day comes, all he has to do is dot the I. You don't go way up. You just step across. You're already thinking like the Lord. You're already acting like the Savior. You're already living like him. He just finishes up that little extra by giving you the new body. And poof, almost nothing else changes. Most of us, especially in America, where it's all about trying to make this place heaven the sin-cursed mud ball. Most of us fuss every time something goes wrong. Get mad every time something's bad. We deem what's worthy of our praise. And we stay spiritually immature. Oh, he'll complete it. But for many of us, we'll go up so far and so fast and so sudden. Man, if you could get the spiritual bends, you get them. <laughs> you don't want that. Because up there has an impact, but not down here. Down here is even more if we're Christ-like here on earth. I'll close with this. Go to 2 Corinthians, watch this. Or Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we're there. Romans 8, watch this. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Notice Romans 8, verse 29 tells us, for whom he did for Noah, he also did predestinate to be formed the image of his son. We'll look at the verse in front of it, because here's the process. And we know that how many things? Romans 8, 28. What's the word? All. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You you mean, preacher, the bad things? That's included in all. You you mean the The trials, that's included at all. Paul said, when I'm weak, I'm strong. I glory in tribulations and persecutions and necessities. He says because he recognized that's the maturing point. It's like a recipe. (laughs) Ever since I can remember when I was just a little knee-high to a grasshopper, one of my first memories of Mother's Kitchen was staring at the countertop. Right over looking at what she was making chocolate chip cookies. You know something I figured out about chocolate chip cookies? There were more than just chocolate chips in the cookie. The recipe had a lot of different ingredients. And you know what? Some of those ingredients made sense, and some of those ingredients to a little six year old boy did not make sense. Chocolate chips made sense. You with me? Makes sense. It's like, oh, yeah, those need to be there, right? Sugar. Oh, yeah. Mom, good ingredient. Oh, yeah. Baking powder. You ever just had baking powder by itself? Mom, I mean, if I was old enough to think it all through, i said, Mom, would you put that in there? Remember the day I found the biggest Hershey bar that ever existed? Baking chocolate. Mom turned her back and I snapped off a piece and ran upstairs and popped it in my mouth. (laughs) Ha! I said, what would she put that into my dessert? Salt all by itself doesn't make sense. Eggs all by itself. Disgusting. But notice it's not each individual ingredient. It's all of them working together, being heated, being torched being molded, being put together that produces that. Your father knows what's best. and He has predestinated you once you join his family to be conformed to the image of his son. It doesn't matter how much you fuss. The trials and the tests are going to keep coming and some ingredients are sweet and some are bitter. Some are delightful and some are dry. But he knows what's best. And it would do us well to not say, Why? Why? But Lord, what? What do you want me to learn? Joseph brothers, he addressed them, he said... Ye thought evil against me, and you sold me into slavery, but God meant it unto good. We sing the song, the God of the mountain is still God of the valley. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job said, until I was afflicted, I went astray. Spurgeon said this, our God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be mistaken. So when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. And when he deals as the God of Jacob in your life, your life, your life, your life, your life, your life, life, not always because of our sin. He's just trying to teach us something and build our faith and create graciousness. You know what I'm saying? Give us a long-suffering, sweet spirit. He's just trying to crush out the junk sometimes, and and and, and just like a marathon, right? He's he's sweating out the junk, and he puts us when he treats you and he deals with you as the God of Jacob. Do not forget. He's still the God of Abraham, and he favors you. You're the apple of his eye, but he's also the God of Isaac, and he promised that what he began in you. Fulfilled will fulfill to the day of Jesus Christ. And the God of Isaac always fulfills his promises. He must keep his word and do his work in your life. And you know the best place to start on the, the name change? Remember when Jacob wrestled with the Lord? The angel of the Lord said, let me go, the day breaketh. He said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. That's who we are. We come to the Lord and say, Lord, bless me. We struggle. Lord, bless me. I need a blessing. You remember what his answer was? Lord, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. Yes. And he said, thy name shall no longer be Jacob. But Israel. Check it out, just before Bethel, that happened. God is willing and able to change every one of us. But we've got to first be honest with Him about who we are before we can ever be changed. What's your name tonight? What's your name? What's your character? What's your sin? Everybody has a closet. We all got some closet that dogs us. You say, well, I don't have one. I found yours. It's pride. You just thank your son. What is your name? You come to God and start there. Then he'll begin to change you and mold you into the image of his son, and begin to change your character and name from Jacob to Israel. The God of Abraham is a God who favors his people. The God of Isaac is a God who fulfills his promises. The God of Jacob, praise the Lord, is the God who finishes his plan. This God is our God, and I'm grateful he'll be our guide even unto death. Let's stand. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm asking musicians to come. Father, thank you tonight for how you deal with us as the God of Jacob. And Father, when you do, and, and even today, Lord, you dealt with me in an area. Lord, I praise you for the fact you're still the God of Abraham and you favor me. I'm grateful you're the God of Isaac. You are a God of integrity. You always keep your word. And Lord, I tonight ask, and Lord, I thank you that the good work you begin in me you promise to perform until the day of Jesus Christ. I pray for your people tonight. Lord, I pray that they would yield to your hand, that you working in their life, as the God of Jacob. May they not fret and fume and fuss. Father, may they yield and trust you. Whatever comes in their life, in the recipe of Christ likeness. Conform us to the image of your son. We don't even need to give you permission, Lord. But keep us mindful of that. Lest we react when you want us to respond. Lest we fuss, Lord, when you want our faith to grow. Lord, for the one that's not even in your family, help them to see they'll never have your eternal favor apart from Jesus Christ. May it night be the night they surrender. Just drop the reins and run to your son for the forgiveness and salvation their soul, their parched and empty soul, has longed for for years. And I ask and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads about eyes are closed, music playing softly. You slip out and come if you need to come. We'll give you an opportunity to respond. Kneel down, we are. Every church has a different personality. I just want to give you an opportunity to do something with a message tonight. That thought ought to just kind of drive you to your knees. You think how so often we react and we just, we indict our God for even wanting us to be like his son. Sad. We ought to thank him. He cares enough to go to work on us. We got to to be grateful that he's got us in the potter's house because our little clay jar was heading to hell. Praise the Lord, He does want to change us. Let me tell you something. Your spouse wants you changed too. Your kids need you changed. Your grandkids need you changed. Your, your boss needs you change. You all with me? There's a lot about us that's not pretty. What's your name tonight? What's your name tonight? Who are you? But you start right there. Lord, here's who I am. Here's where I failed you. By your grace, help me pass the test. Lord, by your grace, help me learn a lesson. I'm sick of being me. I want to be like you. I want to be like you. As people said that's a lot to chew on amen y'all with me you say oh you you spoke like those Jacob years were way back there oh, are you kidding me there's still a lot of Jacob in me Do not talk to my wife because she'll just amen that all the way <laughs> but you know what's nice and this is the encouraging thought Praise the Lord, I'm not what I used to be. You know, I mean, it's not perfection, it is direction. You, you should be more mature now than you were last year. You should be more capable of dealing with, with issues in your Christianity now than you were two years ago. You say, well, I'm going the wrong direction. You're not spending time abiding in him. That's the problem. You're not spending time. You want to be like somebody, you got to spend time with them. Okay. That's where that whole process begins. And then yield to what the Father allows in your heart and in your home. Amen? That's a good thought tonight. I, I, that thinking really helps me. I hope it helped you as well. Pastor, you dismiss us as you see fit. And I do have a thumb drive for you. I'm sorry I, was, I meant to give that to you. But uh, uh, And then tomorrow night, you come back. I've got a, a really good message and a worksheet. You can take it home and you can ruminate on what I'll teach tomorrow night. It's a great thought. All right, Pastor.